You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. You know, Andre, I can't even do an accent to go with this podcast, so I will just introduce myself. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And uh, today we are going down, down under. Is that how they refer to it? No, I, I'm just messing around because I'm sure it'll piss somebody off. But down, down under, I guess, because if Australia would be down under and if you're looking at a globe, then New Zealand would be under Australia. So wouldn't they be down, down under? Uh, I think you're thinking of Tasmania. New Zealand's beside Australia. Well, you know, uh, but you know what? Beside down under doesn't sound as good as down, down under. You're just covering up for the fact that you mix up Tasmania and New Zealand. Ah, it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, you know what? It was actually really interesting to sit down because we have talked in the past that I'm a little fed up with New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, You're more than a little fed up. You are just, you are actually at a vintages tasting. You get downright surly when you see them. Uh, yeah, I said some very not nice things about the last couple uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs that we tasted, but I still taste them because I think it's important to know what's coming to the market. But I find that there's just this trend of it's not even stylistic at this point of trying to sneak in underripe fruit and, and you know, kind of amplify this distinct savory flavor that um, that New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is being known for. But that being but said, I, but I think that's what they want to be known for. And if that's if that's the style they're going for, then I, I think, you know, you just have to, you know, as uh, the Beatles say, let it be. But that being said, you can have too much of a good thing. And when you start to lose balance, you end up with these, you know, hot messes. It's like a uh, Andre, you really have to have a frozen moment about this. <laughs> never let it go. let it go never but anyways without further ado now that we're sort of rambling we had a chance to talk to uh, uh mitchell of uh, marisco marisco uh one of you know what i'll be honest one of my favorite new zealand wineries and i was i, I was thrilled so i kind of geeked out a little bit uh you know tasting some of these wines and meeting him uh you i don't think had known them at all I had not known them at all. Uh, well, I knew the label, but I hadn't really connected them to the brand. And a lot of the wines that they make just kind of come and go through vintages. And, and they go very quickly through yes. vintages. That's the other thing. Um, so and I know... A, I know get a chance to grab these bottles. You should do that. And I mean, um, the Sauvignon Blanc that we did taste was good. And you'll hear us do a live tasting. We tasted through several wines on this podcast. but So let's get to it. Okay. I guess officially, um, I was born Matthew Mitchell, um, but you can call me Matt. Well, it uh, says that on your card. It does, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Marisco doesn't like a lot of pomp and ceremony. We go with short and monosyllabic uh, titles. So, uh, uh, I'm GM of winery, which kind of puts me in charge of everything production that happens on the winery site. So, um, that gives me responsibilities over things like production planning and stuff. So, a little bit more than just winemaking, but... Ultimately, uh, yeah, one makes my bag. Your bag? Yeah. I like it. So this is our first time we've spoken to somebody from uh, from New Zealand. We've done Australia. We've yes. obviously done Ontario. Yes. Uh, we've done California. We've done California and Italy. Via Ontario. <laughs> Ontario. But uh, first time in New Zealand. So uh, while we're recording this, it is um, February? 
Yes, and, and, like and it's actually really interesting because Matt, coming from the southern hemisphere, hemisphere is in the middle of summer, edging on fall. So well, we look like we're in the middle of summer. 20 degrees in Toronto where we're recording. Yeah, this is ridiculous. At, uh, I can't even say this uh, name of the restaurant. So we have a gentleman by the name of... Chris. Chris, Chris here pouring for us. Uh, and you want to tell me what the name of the restaurant is? Absolutely. The name of the restaurant is called Estiatorio Volus. Mm. Oh, so you're Greek. I am Greek. Well, <laughs> there we go. Estiatorio is a very simple way of saying restaurant, similar to sort of Osteria. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, and Volus is a coastal city in Greece, which is a beautiful city. Okay. The uh, native home of the Orange. Okay, so let me give a shot at this because I don't know if the microphone picked it up. Estadorios Volos. Estadorio Volos. Estadorio oh, Volos. Okay. okay, so that's where we are in downtown Toronto where today it hit somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 20 degrees. Yes. Yeah. In the middle of February. Yes. And, and one thing that came up. story yeah. about when he woke up this morning. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, only, only so far as uh, the wake up call gave me a little brief on how the day was going to be, but. Um, Having only had four hours sleep, I was a little surprised to hear uh, 15 degrees was the prediction. I kind of wondered if they're talking Fahrenheit, and maybe I'd go wrong. They were uh, not. They were certainly not. No. Canada, Canada has been really kind to me, actually. I have um, hit a consistent purple patch of weather from west coast to east coast. So, purple patch, I yeah. take it that's a good thing. Uh, purple's good, yeah. Well, purple's royal, you know. So what's happening in New Zealand right now? Well, right in, in February, what are we looking at? Yeah, that's a good, good question, because um, you know, whilst today has been um, thoroughly pleasant, uh, you know, just talking to the folks back home, we've had a week of 30 degrees. Uh, so, you know, we're coming into the tail end of our growing season and um, we're really only about, uh, give or take, 21, 30 days away from harvest. So, Holy um, stuff. yeah, you know, the fruit's all set on the vine. Uh, we've been through Verizon and um, really we're just hanging out for the sugar levels and the, and the flavors to start picking. All right, so what varietals uh, are you growing down at uh, Marisco? Somewhat unsurprisingly, uh, being Marlborough based, um, we're pretty much all about Sauvignon Blanc. So if you look at our portfolio, it's kind of like heavily skewed to Sauvignon, um, both in a volume sense and a different kind of wine sense. So. 75% uh, of our production would be Sauvignon Blanc and um, whilst Pinot Gris has kind of snuck up on us a little bit and is just going absolutely crazy successful in the market um, and is growing probably faster than anything else, uh, you know, Sauvignon Blanc will always be our cornerstone varietal and, and the thing that we're most known for. Now you have more than one label, it's not just Morisco, there's actually uh, a few things that come under your yeah, umbrella. Yeah, increasingly more and more. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, the stage of the company being, you know, just getting to beyond that 10 year anniversary. Uh, I guess like any normal uh, wine business, we're really diversifying the portfolio, both from a quality sense and a sort of like a fruit sourcing kind of sense. So recently we uh, purchased a, a new property that's um, about six kilometers further up the valley, in the Wahobai Valley in Marlborough. Um, and that's afforded us this whole opportunity to, to, to grow the production of our existing brands, but plus add in some other kind of really cool single vineyard stories. So whilst you're probably a long way off seeing it in the Canadian market, um, 
you know, what's coming down the pipeline at us is a, a cool brand called Leafield Station. Leafield? Leafield Station. Oh, Leafield. Leafield yeah, Station. Leafield Station. Yeah. It's the accent. It's, I know, it's a little bit. It's crazy accent, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but, but before that, you have the, the Ned, which absolutely. we've seen here in Ontario, for sure. Yeah, Cornerstone Varietal um, Mix and, uh, yeah, uh, sort of like the, the foundation brand of the company. And then there's there's Morisco. I know on my wine racks, I have a Morisco Pinot Noir. So that's, that's, it's just called Morisco Pinot Noir. And then there's the Kings series, is there not? That, that's correct, yeah, yeah. So the King series kind of rese uh, resembles our reserve range, for, for want of a better description. Um, so primarily based on a superior fruit selection, a more targeted fruit selection than what would be available for the need, for example. Got it, all right. And b before we get too much into <laughs> the specifics of, uh, I guess what we have in front of us, Getting so close to harvest, how is, I guess this would be 2017, the harvest? Correct. How does 2017 look as a, as a harvest for you guys? It's, it's going to feel 21 to 30 days away. You have no idea. Everything can go to hell in my handbag. Yeah, that's it. We've got everything crossed for a little bit more of this continuation of the current weather. Um, it, it's been, to be honest, it's been quite a difficult season, I think, what you guys have experienced. Um, in terms of your recent weather and the changeability and the unseasonable nature, that has definitely been the case with our growing season. Uh, we've had a lot of high winds, we've had a lot of changeable weather. Um, but you know, having said that, um, nothing disastrous. I don't think there's um, any more or less disease potential than is what is normal in, in a Marlborough season. And um, you know, whilst there's a little bit of sort of bunch variability already as a result of some dodgy weather during flowering, um, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that there's, um, you know, there's a good crop out there and, um, you know, with the recent warm temperatures, we'll ripen it and, um, yeah, we'll do vintage like, like we always do. Cool. Okay, so we're now ready to shit all over some wine, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's... Uh... All right, so, <laughs> no, I, I gotta come right out and say it. <laughs> I've, uh, I've followed Morisco now for a few years, and uh, I'm, I'm a fan. So that's why I, I was thrilled to be able to talk to you. Uh, big fan of your Pinot. I'll, I'll be honest, your Pinots okay. are, are something that I, I always love. So uh, so when we asked you what to pour, you went with the white and the rosé. So I, well, I don't it, like it, it as it, much it, anymore, but it, that's okay. In all fairness, Michael, like full disclosure, I asked for the whites because the two white varietals we're yeah. tasting well, that's true. are the stuff that you and I both like to shit on. Yes. Okay. okay. So do we want to go left to right and maybe start with the first one? Because <laughs> I, I, I want to just get this over with because I've already tasted it. And I'm actually really enjoying it. There you go. All right, so Sauvignon Blanc, which is not uh, Andre's favorite wine in any way, shape, or form. No, it, okay. Come on. You know what? Let, 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 let me put Don't my beef. Let me put, okay, but let me put my beef out with you, Matt, right away. Is I, I found that in New Zealand, you guys have figured it out. You know that in, in Canada, especially, we're nuts for New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. But like we know what it is we like about it. It's it's kind of those savory notes, the gooseberry, the asparagus, the like the herb garden nose that you get. And I find that we get a lot of bottles. We get a lot of bottles that work its way through vintages now where it's not the savory notes that are over top of tropical fruit. It's just an underripe fruit. Like let's let's see how much underripe fruit we can put in this and, and, and get away with it and then blend it with the ripe fruit and make it taste okay. And I'm taking the nose on this and it's definitely it's got a little bit of the savory note, but it's a lot of tropical fruit. Yeah. It's guava, yeah. 
it's passion fruit. There's like this, goose, there's gooseberry in there. There's a lot. Going but it's on. not, it's not underripe. Like it's not, it's not asparagus. But like it's got a little bit of the of the, of the herb garden. So I'm even getting a little peapod going on here, which is something I usually pick out in. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it's still fruit. It's still a lot of like ripe fruit. Like it's, yep. this isn't underripe by any means. Matt so hasn't figured out that this is radio, so he's nodding uh, <laughs> a lot. So so I'm, I'm not just saying this because he's sitting in front of me. But you're you're not guilty of the of the over underripe. And I mean, there is a nice in intensity to it, but it's not too concentrated. It's uh, nice acidity to it. It's, it's I mean, this is a great yeah, food wine. Because it's radio, and nobody said that I was allowed to swear. And, uh, so, uh, <laughs> well, it's actually our radio. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm liberated now, so. Radio <laughs> Free Europe. Or, let's, or go. Something like yeah, let's, let's go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, so just to, I mean, to talk to that point, um, I think largely what, what sets us apart is our uh, Marusco Vineyards, the Ned label in particular, um, has a very strong story based in around the Wahopai Valley. It's where our winery is based, it's where all our vineyard sourcing is based. Um, and, and what that means in, in really kind of simple terms is we are uh, in one of the side valleys, one of the southern valleys networks. Um, we have the valley wall that protects us from the cooling effects of the ocean. So think about it as like um, daytime temperatures that are probably two to four to five degrees warmer than the Central Valley. Uh, but that is in combination with the fact that we're a little bit further south and, and uh, east of, um, again, of most of the Sauvignon Blanc cultivations. So we're kind of really close to that mountain network, uh, the sort of the foothills of the Southern Alps. And uh, as a result, you know, when the sun goes down, we get this big rush of cold air. So the minute we lose the sun, we've got cool temperatures, uh, really quite, you know, even in high summer, quite chilly nighttime temperatures. So you've got this fantastic daytime, nighttime temperature fluctuation. And what that gives us is Sauvignon Blanc that is genuinely ripe. It avoids that kind of um, underripe scenario that you're talking to, the bell pepper, the... But, but, but at the same time, you, you've definitely got, like, the essence of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc as, yeah, as the, the market same. knows it. Yep. There, there's some grass, there's some yep. definitely, you know, fresh cut grass yep. here yep. and that herbaceous note to it. I think on the palate, it's not as tropical as the nose. I wouldn't agree with that. I find it's quite tropical pushing right to the back. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, I'm going to have to referee. I, I, I can see that. <laughs> I already had to take them out of the bar a couple times. <laughs> right. I'm getting a little tangerine, but I mean, it's, yeah, not, it, it's not as... Um, that nose just, just lures me in. And, I, and you can see I've almost finished the glass. Yeah. It's not like I didn't like it, but it wasn't as, as tropical. There was a lot of that grassiness, Look, tangerine. I, I know we're only two months in, but this is my favorite Sylvania Blanc from New Zealand that I've tasted in 2017. That was right. such faint praise. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. We, we've tasted it. There have been quite a few working their way through. This is my favorite summer day that I've seen in 2017. Uh, whatever. Let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to your favorite, Michael. <laughs> okay, so I have always said that Pinot Gris is probably one of the most boring grape varieties in the world. Right next to uh, un-oak Chardonnay, which I think is probably, yeah, is the most boring grape variety. Oh, this has opened up. Yeah. Oh, we've been tasting all of them already. Well, when the glasses were poured and you were busy shooting your mouth, I took a smell of the well, glasses. Well, cap, so they better not be corked or anything. No, no, no. But I mean, when this was in the glass, when it was immediately poured, it was a little tight. And I mean, it smelled like what you would expect from 
kind of your Pinot Grigio for 10 bucks a bottle. But I mean, this has been in the glass now for 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, Critical. Yeah, I, I've got a clock in front of me. Anyways, uh, it's now completely opened up. Is there some lease contact in here? Keep it the man a master of wine. Yeah. So he knows more than I do, really, because uh, <laughs> he's tasting the wine. I'm drinking with my eyes. So no, I, I can I can smell almost a, a spicy characteristic. Like an oak what character. I, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, right. and that's what that's I look for. Oh, holy shit! Yeah. In a uh, oh, in, oh. In, in the Pinot Gris that actually has some lees contact. Yeah. If Pinot Gris does not have lees contact, uh, I always find them very boring. When you, when you put some lees contact in them, they develop. You know. Not a Chardonnay characteristic, but some sort of spice. Well, give it some, some weight. Interesting, like it's some weight. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, it, like um, I think often we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the texture of the wines that we drink. We focus on the aromas and the yes. flavors. And if you want to talk about Pinot Gris, and you want to talk about great Pinot Gris, I think often these are the ones that have a little bit of texture that make them interesting, so that you know, kind of really subtle flavors. And I know you're not one for subtlety, Michael, <laughs> but with Pinot Gris, we're talking about subtle flavors that Lee's contact gives it a bit of weight, which, I mean, gives you a little bit of interest. Let's let's let's, let's, let's see subtle not, flavors come out. But it's not a butteriness in any way, no. shape, or form. There's a spiciness to this wine. There's there's a, a, a picante quality to it that you can almost smell and that you can definitely taste. So obviously Lee's contact, let's go back to that. How yeah, long on yeah. Lee's? And this is, so just so people know what wines we're talking about, the first wine was the uh, the Ned Sauvignon Blanc 2016, and then the uh, second wine, which we are trying now, is the King's Thorn, which is part of the King's series, Pinot Gris 2016. So uh, tell us a little about this wine. I guess, you know, like, um, the really important thing about Pinot Gris is, is everything you've said to date. I think, you know, it's never gonna have the most exuberant fruit character. Um, so it's a wine style that I think you really have to work that textural ang angle uh, to, to create the, the, the color and the interest in the wine. Um, Brent Maris, the owner of our business, he's um, Marlborough's first born and bred, you know, fully trained up, authentic winemaker. Um, you know, he still very much directs style within our company and you know, when Pinot Gris sort of came to the fore within the Morisco range, um, you know, he was really all about let's try and create wines that have, you know, genuine textural interest, but let's try and avoid, you know, eight to ten grams of residual sugar. You know, we don't want to be about this sort of, you know, heavy, sickly kind of Pinot Gris style. Um, I love that you've set the ben set the benchmark that low because I think even for most people, eight to ten grams of residual sugar with nice acidity in both the Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Gris have some nice acidity to them you wouldn't necessarily really taste that as a sweet wine, but to really sure. set that as a mandate, so you guys are in the business of, of serious wines. Yeah, absolutely. And I, a lot of that, you know, comes to that sort of classic show uh, criteria where you kind of got to hit under six grams to have, you know, genuineness around calling it dry wine. And, you know, we want to show our wines, we want to compete. Um, and so, you know, bearing that in mind, but primarily it's all about wine balance and, um, yeah, so, you know, we try and hit that, um, you know, sub six gram uh, residual thing, but we're looking at really building mouthfeel. And the way we do that with the King's Thorn is very much around a, a 10 to 15% um, barrel fermentation component. Oh, that's, um, that's where the least, least contact comes in. And um, are you talking like neutral barrels or? Well, yeah, it, that's the way it started out for sure. Um, but I think as we've got you know, more used to that 
and that component is perhaps growing, you know, from the sort of the 10% to 15%, we've growing the confidence to just start injecting a little bit of, uh, you know, genuine new work in there, and that little hint of spice and smoke, um, I, you know, again, I just think really complements the sort of the, the musky fruit character that you get from really ripe Pinot Gris. So yes, Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio left by itself is boring. Do something to Pinot Gris. That's, that's my thoughts about Pinot Gris. I God, still prefer the Sauvignon Pinot. Blanc. I still prefer the Sauvignon Blanc, which is a lot coming for me, who's been crapping on Sauvignon Blanc for now months. But this is very nice Pinot Gris. I think the way to think about Pinot Gris, the, 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 the way to kind of get into the interest of the variety is if you kind of think of Pinot Gris as like that mutant little sister of Pinot Noir, it's basically like this, this white grape that has a red wine tannin structure. And I think if you can kind of exploit that tannin structure and, and, and then supplement it or build it up into something, then you know you can make wines that, okay, maybe they don't have that exuberant fruit character like a Sauvignon Blanc, but you put them in your mouth and it's like, wow, you know, this is really doing things and going places in your, on your palate that you just don't expect. And you know, that's the excitement around, uh, you know, wines made in a style like this. See, I, I think the Sauvignon Blanc is great for summer, and the Pinot Gris is summer on steroids. There's just a little bit more, more on there. Like this, I could sit and just, yeah, the Sauvignon Blanc, I could sit and sip on all, all afternoon. The Pinot Gris, I need something else. Yeah, I would. I, a you know what? Food, a little. Yeah. Sa maybe a salad. Maybe. But but one great thing about this is it, is it does have that interesting texture for Pinot Gris, but it is incredibly food friendly because of the subtlety yeah. of flavors. Like I may not want to serve a steak with it. No. But I mean, I know I'm the crazy. I'm the crazy. I'm all over. Pull. You know what? I think that's the most out there. I think pulled pork with that would be with fantastic. a South Carolina barbecue sauce. The mustard. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're insane. <laughs> we gotta go with the Texas sauce. <laughs> All right, so you were talking about a pink wine. Yeah, here we let's go. Do it, let's do it. And then, so let's talk about something that's got a little bit of color to it. Okay. This is the King's Desire, which obviously is part of the King series. Correct. And um, this is um, this is something that's just totally new. Um, whilst it um, and, and and totally bespoke for for this market, it's um, we made it in a tiny small quantity. Um, it's you know. Totally dialed into what we thought. Wait, how much is this going to cost in the market? Nineteen ninety-five. Nineteen ninety-five for. So you are going to be on the podcast. <laughs> Sooner or later, someone's going to get in. Yeah, there you go. You're sitting in the room. You're okay. on the podcast. You're and, and, and by the way, the person on the podcast is. Do you want to introduce yourself since you're on there? Sure, Natalia Monholius with Authentic Wine and Spirits. Okay, there we go. Natalia from Authentic. She's my protector. <laughs> so well, she hasn't. She hasn't. She hasn't intervened yet, so I don't know how good a job she's doing. Okay. I'll toss the first tasting note yeah, on this here. When I'm, when I'm smell, smelling the notes, because I've already tasted this, I'll say first off, it is bone dry. Yeah, man. It is absolutely bone dry, but I love wines like this when you get the smell. So uh, I'm a child of the 80s, and when I get the nose on this, it smells like fruit roll-ups. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it smells like candied fruit, like the stuff yeah, that my mom would, would, would pack in my lunch. And the best thing is... It's one of my favorite things when you find rosé, and uh, there's a local winery called Flat Rock who a couple of years ago made a rosé that tasted like Swedish berries, which is like just a full-on red confection candy, but it was bone dry. So you can get that, you know, that nostalgia element that takes me right back, but keep the wine bone dry. It's just like, man, this tastes like I'm 13, but... Yeah, it's got yeah, a little drop quality yeah. to it, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm hooked. Watermelon Jolly Rancher going on. Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, like this, this is candied, but without the sweetness. Well, it was, it was odd because I was smelling, uh, smelling the wine, and I'm like, oh my god, they've made something sweet, and but it's got that Jolly Rancher, that raspberry, that. The candied element, that bubblegummy note, and I'm like, oh my god! But the thing is, it's, it's, it's so it's so weird on the palate because chew. the piggly, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. But like, like the weird thing is that it's got all this like confection fruit on the palate, on, on, on the palate. Yeah, piggly chew down in no, no idea what you bubble it's bubble gum. It's a bubble gum. It's a bubble gum that they did in in uh, in. in it made it look like chewing tobacco. And what you do is you rip it open, and it's like a sack of gum, and you can actually, and it's stringy, and you put it in your mouth, and yeah, so it looked like chewing tobacco. Uh, but like, like but it's it's nostalgia. This is bottled yeah. nostalgia, and the thing is, the acidity. It's got the red. This is a a, a dry rosé that I could serve with a steak. And just just for the record, um, our marketing manager. Um, our marketing and sales GM had um, forbade me to talk about confectionery in relation to our rosé. Cool, you can leave that to us. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah. You're going to get me in power trouble. Yeah. It's totally on the nose because on the palate, you're getting that watermelon Jolly Rancher without the sugar. You know what I mean? Well, like I'm getting the confection, like I'm getting the fruit roll up on the palate without the sugar too, where it's just like, like it's it's really satisfying. <laughs> and, then, and then the acidity is like, woof, it's gone. This is like chug-a-log. This is really Oh yeah, this is dangerous. <laughs> 12 percent yeah that's a two bottle that's a two bottle by yourself afternoon <laughs> you know what this is this is fish fry this is shore lunch oh this is fish with this this would be fantastic shore lunch totally All right, so tell us about how yeah let's go pinot, pinot, pinot noir rosé now that we've um, turned it into a candy shop uh, <laughs> anything i say will be um vaguely nerdy and uh, and and winemakerish but yeah look um it was, you know, really our attempt to put a Kiwi spin on just that classic sort of Southern French rosé style that is in that little lighter but absolutely bone dry, has that lovely kind of powdery tannin effect and really, really crisp acidity. So I think we've got all that juiciness and, dare I say, that confected character that you talk about, but it's on this lovely dry kind of textured palette. Well, it's um, just like the, the finish, yeah. like the like it's yeah. so dry. Yeah. And this yeah, is yeah. coming to the market. This is coming. Yeah, absolutely. Back. Look, it was totally designed for this market. It was a, a request for someone that really liked the label, uh, liked what we were doing with rosé under the net, but wanted something that's a little bit more kind of serious. And, uh, well, we don't know who this person is, but we'll have to send them a thank you card when yeah. we find out. Yeah, yeah this, is, love this is delicious. Yeah. So, because uh, you're also known for Pinot Noir, and Andre's got it in front of him, can we open the raft? Yeah, man, you, you, you knock yourself out. Oh. So, okay, it's not as impressive as with a cork, but no, it's more impressive because this we can guarantee the wine will be good underneath it. It's not going to be spoiled. So, thank you. I you've been around, I love that so years. much. You've always been the screw cap. I'm going to assume. 100. Yeah. percent Always. Yeah. Never, screw never cap. put a cork anywhere near near okay. wine. Did you even think about going? Like I know New Zealand is just all about screw cap. Uh, no, never once. Never I, once. I think the business came along post the screw cap initiative within uh, New Zealand and um, Brent, the owner of our business, um, you know, was just 100% behind it, uh, you know, right, right from the early outset. And I, look, I think when you look at our lineup of wines, the fact that we, you know, have built a business on aromatic wine, uh, it just makes complete sense. And Andre's you know, eyes are popping from his head. Well, the concentration <laughs> on the aromas right there. We were talking about, you know, before we got on, we were talking about... Uh, uh, Oregon Pinot, we were talking about California Pinot. I wouldn't hold that against you. <laughs> and, um, no, this is this is definitely cool climate Pinot here. I, I know uh, 
you think southern hemisphere i'm sure your winters aren't as harsh as ours but no no uh, I've, I've learned a new level of harsh in terms of winter oh uh, you went to winnipeg, winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> he always gets winnipeg and oh and, oh wait no he always gets saskatchewan in so i guess i gotta throw that there out. we go andre's yeah. from saskatchewan he's probably told you already yeah. you ever seen minus 57 no never because was. i have would you like to andre will take you home no no it's, it's my Let's point. Point. <laughs> okay so it's like black charred like um well, like, like, a, like campfire, but like cocoa, like really nice cocoa powder. There's a little anise in here too. Here, we'll give, we'll, give, we'll give a new shout out to my, my girlfriend Anya, who's a pastry chef. Like this smells Who like... Who has never made pastry for either of us. No, well... How the hell does that happen? <laughs> but the thing is... this your birthday, you don't get okay. a cake. The, 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 this is an important distinction, and it's flattering compared to a lot of the shit that we've already said. But there's a difference between the grocery store cocoa powder and the good oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Boy, so, my wife so loves true. the good so stuff. She's always and this loved. smells like the good stuff. Like it's got a cocoa note, but it's really, it's well, really distinct. Raspberry, strawberry going on, but it's not over the top. It's it's all. Can you need a glass? It's all. Okay, about, Natalia, come on. You're on the podcast now. It's all about savoriness. And uh, oh, they're doing a the flame and cheese out this side. I don't know if anybody saw that. Nobody saw that, but uh, wow. So. So once again, like completely See, bone dry, nice fruit on the mid palate, but like that that cocoa note is like start to finish, nose to finish. This is the one that that, that got me to fall in love with uh, with Morisco, uh, you know, a few years back. Uh, just love that uh, King's Wrath. Uh, Acids you know, are high, tannins are approachable, but I mean, this could age for quite a while, eh? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, the wines under the security of a screw cap really have great longevity, and look, you know. I, I know you don't want to go back and start talking about pink wine again, but you know we couldn't make the King's Desire rosé style without having a really good understanding of and fantastic Pinot Noir vineyard sites. Um, you know, the King's Desire was always supposed to be you know really upscale, and so we went to some of the best sites that we have within the company and took Pinot um, in the clonal pickings off off north-facing hillsides. You know, so it's a really serious attempt to try and you know capture the the varietal characters and, and you know even what you've just described in the King's Wrath you know there's a lot of crossover of the fruit characters obviously in a slightly darker spectrum it's clearly riper and picked a little later but you know it, it talks to you know the quality of our viticulture and um, and the fantastic vineyard sites we have within the company. So we should ask some geeky questions like yeah, how, how yeah. much either acreage or hectareage I'm not sure which way you want to talk about it do you have first of all? Ah uh, look um, yeah, our numbers game. Um, <laughs> the, the, it's just the winemaker, he has no idea. Yeah, so yeah, so <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of grapes. Um, <laughs> our home block vineyard, uh, 250 hectares. So, um, oh geez, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic, a fantastic thing actually, because what we've got is this um, ability to talk with something like Ned Sauvignon Blanc to talk a single vineyard story, um, have all that wine credibility through the single vineyard story. But we've got scale and size that gives us, um, you know, probably better economies of scale. But just the ability to be out in the worldwide market, to come to Canada, have conti continuity of supply, um, you know, it's a fantastic thing. And you know, now that we've bought um, the second property, we talked about Leafield Station at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, Leafield Station is massive; it's a total game changer. Um, Two thousand two hundred hectares plus 
Um, I'll lost, plant it? No, no. Oh, oh, hell, hell no. Um, <laughs> and a large chunk of it will never be planted. It, it'll be dedicated to, um, to bringing back as, you know, high country sheep and beef grazing. Um, in fact, there's some really... Oh, sheep and beef. Tell me more. Yeah. But some grand plans around Angus stud and Romney stud and, and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm no farmer. I'm a city kid, so I'm going to just leave that alone. But 700 hectares potentially of really interesting... Um, flat, flattish kind of land that we're going to develop over a sort of a six-year period. We're 300 hectares planted of the 700 so so far to date. So we're now roughly at 550, and then you know we've got a couple of small Pinot Noir vineyards, which is relevant to the King's Roth. Um, they're a little bit close to town, uh, still in the Southern Valleys network, so we're still trading off that sort of shelter from the sea breeze and warmer sites. Plus, equally, we have a couple of kind of Chardonnay-dominated vineyards that equally have a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc thrown in there as well. And again, they're a little bit closer to, to Marlborough outside of the sort of white network. So, I don't know, 550, call it, call it 700 at the moment, but, but definitely growing. Um, you know, I could see a time where we're farming, um, you know, upwards, slightly upwards of a thousand hectares. Holy crap, that's a lot. So the, so the, the King's Wrath is like the top end Pinot at the moment. It could... Uh, no, not, it's, oh, it's not strictly true. But you're holding out on us. Yeah, look, there's this, this, this little thing on my, my left sleeve called the Craft Series. Um, Where's that? <laughs> not here today. Yeah, okay, today. next time. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at you, Natalia. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back in a year and we'll, we'll tell the story about the Craft Series. But back in 2011, um, we had this fantastic opportunity to just throw all the kind of the constraints to winemaking out the window and just go out there and be as crazy as we can with Sauvignon Blanc. Um, nothing was too crazy experimental to try and ultimately what we've come up with is this range of wines that celebrates an aspect of craft. With Sauvignon Blanc it's all about winemaking, with Pinot Noir it's all about the entire journey from vineyard through winemaking through marketing. Um, it's called The Journey um, for obvious reasons. And we even have a, um, a single vineyard, uh, Viognier, in the program, uh, which very much celebrates cool. the challenge of viticulture when you take something that typically grows in quite a warm, arid climate and you cultivate that in Marlborough. And oh, so. Oh, um, Viognier, so yes. Yeah. Well, you are invited back. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, so I've got to ask because you made a comment in passing. How does a city kid end up in winemaking, which the more me and Michael do that, we obviously know, and if you're listening to this and don't know this, winemaking is just really fancy, crazy farming. Yes. You still need good fruit. You need good fruit. You need good fruit. 100%. How much do you have? Okay, so keep his question in mind. How much do you have to do with the viticulture? Or do you let the viticulturalist do his due and then he brings you good fruit? No, um, it's really good that Anton's here, not here, because um, you know this is the, the stage where we kind of do the classic kind of you know, winemaker hating on viticulturist kind of thing. And normally, <laughs> normally he'd just reach across the table and punch me, but um, he's not here, he's like thousands of miles away. Like, <laughs> I can rag on him all I like, um, so long as he doesn't ever pick up the podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you know, I get up in his face when I think he's done it wrong. You know, it's that simple. Um, and then equally, um, he can be very vocal when he thinks that we haven't kept our end of the bargain up. If he, delivers perfect fruit and we turn it into substandard wine then he's got a lot to say about it 
and Brent's always created this culture within our company that um, we don't have really tight interdepartmental boundaries. We kind of, you know, we really merge. The fact that I'm in the market talking to you about effectively in a sales and marketing environment um, is a stronger element of trust on Siobhan's case because, um, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a winemaker. What do I know? You know, I'm <laughs> you're talking rubbish. You know, but um, but you know, having having fun doing it. But you know, to answer the question, yeah, look, you know, when we don't think we've quite got it right, you know, we'll talk to Anton, and and, and it's not that I know more than him. It's just like I'll tend to say to him, look, you know, the wines this year have this sort of certain quality, and it's not necessarily quite what we're looking for. We want to kind of morph it into this. What do you reckon we could do? You know, we, we, we're just really mining his um, fantastic local knowledge, his, his knowledge of the soils and the blocks and the, the techniques. And, so um, subsequent podcasts, we need to talk to Anton. Oh, man. Find, find <laughs> the yeah. No, it's, it's seriously. No, don't yeah. talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, and he, he would just say that we're a bunch of, um, yeah, ponces that just um, <laughs> get way too much credit for the quality of the wine. And it's, it's you know, wine comes from uh, the vineyard. All right, so back to my question. How does the city kid end up making uh, wine then? Yeah. Um, it's basically, a, it's a sad tale of, um, you know, um, illiteracy and, um, and um, substandard intelligence. It's, um, you know, very quickly through my schooling, I realized I couldn't read, I can't write. Uh, I'm not really good with economic things. And um, so that left me with maths and science. So, um, you know, I'm kind of the, I, I guess, maybe the geeky kid that's still kind of... Um, you know, enjoys that stuff, and um, and then when someone actually exposed me to that transformation that grape juice is through to wine, it's just it, it it really is. You know, alchemy is this thing that human race has been chasing for years. But you go into a winery and you see how boring and flavorless grape juice is, regardless of variety almost, and you see what that transformation is that yeast are ultimately responsible for, and it's. You know, you go from something that has very little kind of layering in terms of flavor expression and aroma, but chuck yeast across it, let them do their job and let them do it well, you know, in a controlled environment. And what you come out with is this thing that is just so um, aromatically or flavor-wise, you know, the complexity of flavor chemistry at that, at that level is um, you know, off the charts. And it's, it's genuine alchemy. And that's how, the thing that kind of hooked me in. How long have you been doing this? Oh, uh, maybe five months. Twenty-five, twenty-eight oh. years, something like that. Oh, wow. Like it's it's yeah. it's it's so amazing. Like, like I'm not. I'm I'm sort of at a loss of words, but I really hope that when I'm 28 years into doing what I'm doing, I still have the passion that 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 you have. I mean, to refer to what you're doing as as, as alchemy, because you're making wine on a pretty large scale. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean. To still have that that passion come through, where you're referring to your craft as alchemy, like there's something whimsical about that. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, but I, but yeah, I mean, but no, I mean, no, it's, I, it's, I mean, you. when you break it when you break yeah. it down on a basic yeah. level, winemaking is still chemistry. Yeast, yeah. sugar yeah. becomes yeah. becomes alcohol. But like, uh, I'm I'm at a loss of words. Like, well, you can stop there because I have a question for the inner. Go geek. for it. I have a question for his inner geek. Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> Neither. I just I don't do, I, I don't, do, don't do sci-fi at all. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that for sure you was gonna pick one. I I, I have a question. No, no I, I'm about the real things, not the unreal things. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm a, I'm only a recent um, 
I'm only like about maybe a third through the first series. Like, um, maybe I'm a Game of Thrones retard, but um, it, not to say it's not fascinating. There is more. Nah, um, come on, you've got and bosoms than you've ever seen anywhere on television. Yeah, but, but Matt, come on, you, you've, you, you've got. And everybody loves the Mars button. And they got a dwarf. Okay, but you've got you've got a wine with you know oh, kind of yeah. old English script called the Ned. Absolutely. And you're watching the first season of Game of Thrones. Come on, man. <laughs> the King's Wrath. Yeah. Like, like this whole this whole wine just screams Game of Thrones. Uh, trademark HBO. This is this is where I reach across the table and just point out something like this. Um, whilst that's got this really obvious kind of Game of Thrones thing with the the, the font and all the rest of it, the King series. I've got a bottle of King series in my hand. I'd like to actually refer to the little kind of splatter of what kind of looks like dried blood. You know, I reckon it's actually got this more kind of Tarantino. Field. Oh, you haven't you know, watched enough like, Game of Thrones, Matt. Oh, no, no, clearly, clearly not. But, uh, <laughs> I just want to refer to Kill Bill and, um, and just the whole samurai. Oh, you know, power through season one and then get back to yeah, us. Do you want to talk about blood splattered across okay, the bottle? I'll, I'll come back and bring you some craft so, stories. <laughs> we'll talk, we'll We're talk. just going to go slowly uh, backwards within the line. Absolutely. Uh, if I remember the, the Ned Pinot Noir, uh, it's a little more fruit forward. Correct, yeah, absolutely. And, and very, very deliberately so. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thrust with the Ned range is just about this really sort of fun, exuberant, non-serious um, approach to, to wine. Andre, did you want oh, to look at that. Oh, well, there's one there. Should we uh, oh, give that a quick shout too? Yeah, we, so we, we see the difference between the two. We've got fresh glasses. Because uh, you know, if I remember correctly, the Ned oh, is just that fruit-forward expression yes, of, of Pinot Noir. Yeah. Kind of um, uh, somewhere, you know, not to, you know, make light of it, but it's a little California meets Oregon meets uh, uh, meets Niagara. A, a, a bit of fun. Niagara. I was going to say <laughs> Niagara or Niagara. No Niagara. Niagara. Yes. Niagara. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, enough of this might uh, might rise the, raise the bar, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, ooh. Actually, going back to uh, which is the one, the this, wrath. The, the, the wrath. Yeah, the wrath yep. Now that it's been in the glass for a couple minutes, because we literally popped it and put it in the glass, it's now got a bit of a floral, mm -hmm. like the violet, the deep violet, dried violet aroma to it. And now, but if you get, get the net, that's a more fruit forward, the acidity's a little more forward also, especially on the palate. That's like, a, that really is an entry level Pinot. Yeah, but. 100%. But not. Oh, that's good. To, to use your word, not a retard female. You know what I mean? You'd say. We like to say that here. Yeah, but probably yeah, but not. not. Yeah, yeah, but no, but. Yeah. But, but, but it's not. It's not. You know, a special. It's not the short bus female. It's a good solid female. Yeah, yeah. If, Look, I'm not going to call anyone out in particular, but if entry-level Niagara Pinot is, hey, we got to step up our game. But I mean, this is what entry-level Pinot should be. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so I know, I know that we just made that that step backwards, but I just wanted Andre to uh, because he not, I don't think you had experienced the Ned before. I have, but it's interesting to do it side by side with it and also taste it. And look, you guys have talked to it already. I think you know you see that you know with the King series, we're trying to hit that kind of serious note where. You can sit down with food and, and the wines are robust enough and concentrated enough to really stand up to food. The Ned, the food thing just doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of like this, you know, relaxing after a really hard day or just, just out on your patio where you, I don't know, what do you call it, dick? That always sounds like dick, but dick. Don't let him touch his dick. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't sit on my dick. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, we're just giant children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boy children, very, yeah, very clearly boy children. It always comes down to a dick, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> penis jokes, lovely. Um, we're 15 again. Yeah, uh, totally. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, so it's just, just about, it's kind of that classic kind of, you know, relaxing after work, in the weekend, drinking, no, food, food non-essential, and, you know, really, that's the fun, you know, everyday nature of what the Ned's supposed to represent. And you're this it's still born dry. Like, like these are all dry. Look, look, sugar isn't necessarily uh, an, an indicator of a wine that isn't air quotes serious. But I mean, these wines are all very serious wines. Like, if you're new to wine and you want to see, I, I think we can each say that these uh, over deliver on their price or at least deliver yeah, exactly top, what you're yeah, looking for. Price. So the Sauvignon Blanc is, uh, which is a Ned? 1660, 16, available 16. year round. 1660, available year round, thanks a ton. And then there's the uh, King's Thorn Pinot Gris. Yes, and that's coming out through Vintages. It's 1995 and it's coming out May 13th. May 13th, 1995, Vintages. The Pinot Noir Rosé. Is coming out April 29th, 1995. Ooh. Always good to have a fact checker. With <laughs> April 29th. Hey, sorry, I'm just repeating so that we're closer to the mic. April 29th, 1995. I just, I'm just going to jump in here and say, look, this wine was made exclusively for this market in a very small quantity. If you get on top of this and you love it, go large early because... Uh, Liquid I'm, fruit roll-ups. It's all over Rover, you know. So go, go I'm going to be, go be all over this. Really, this really has digressed. Mm. Okay. Large early. Right. But before before we start to wrap, oh wait, we're gonna we gotta continue oh, oh, the prices. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Pinot Noir. Uh, it's not available in market. Oh! <laughs> Only if you call me for a and special. And favorite. the King's Wrap. Uh, the same. It's not getting out this year. Matt, yeah. yeah. we'd like yeah. to thank you a lot for your time for for tasting all of these wines. I know you probably weren't thinking we taste all five of these, but we really appreciate you opening the bottles as we twisted your rubber arm to do it. So, no, look, absolutely my pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Matt. These were, fan these were fantastic, um, and uh, wish you all all the success in the North American market and, and, and back at home. And we have convinced you that Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Gris are really rare. <laughs> Uh, hey, I, 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 sure. hey, look, comfortable. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm cutting the tape. Andre, uh, these guys do great Pinot Noir. They do great Sauvignon Blanc. But you know the wine that I was totally jazzed about, and I know you were too. Oh, that rosé. Yep. Oh, God, that was so good. You know, it's just amazing that you can get, like, all these amazing flavors that kind of take you back to that elementary school lunch that kind of candied fruit, the fruit leather, the fruit roll-up. And I, I can happily say these uh, descriptors without worrying about in insulting anyone because this is a serious, legit wine. There was... Oh, it was, it was so dry. Yes. But so fruity on the nose. It's just... It is... I got to grab me some of that because it is going to be the, my special summer rosé. Like, I don't bring it out every day because, you know, it's $20. Rosé is... It's not an everyday rosé, but that's going to be like the special every, you know, two every month or something like that. I'd agree with that. Anyways, until we get a chance to speak to our next New Zealand winemaker, maybe I will tone down my hatred of uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and just enjoy some Morisco. I would do that. And uh, remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, leave us a review. We would love to hear what you think of what we're doing. And Make a comment for God's sake. Absolutely. We'll gladly respond to anything. I'll try to keep Michael away from the keyboard if it's a negative comment. Yeah, I, I don't like those. Anyways, you want to wrap this up, Michael? 
I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.